let's get started. Uh, before we begin, uh, it's good to pray. So, hey, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time together. I thank you that we can look at your truth, your word, uh, and the power of your spirit and in your name. So would you be with us, Lord? We know that you are, but would you open our ears and our hearts to hear the truth? Um, help me to, to speak this, Lord, that we would um, be able to find joy in you in this topic, to know that we can have assurance. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little bit about me. Um, my name is Perry Siddons. Um, I'm in my fourth year here at Nippon Bible College, so in April I'll be graduating. Uh, it's been a it's been a good time here. What's something you like about me, Jordan? <coughs> That's not controversial. Oh. <laughs> not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you make really good batch of popcorn, but you never let me eat the bottom buttery stuff. So it's, oh yeah, well, it's I just awesome. made some. Well, I'll so, come over after. Yeah. All right, well, I'm presuming that you came to the, well, I don't know, there's innumerable reasons why you're here, but one of the things that I want to address tonight is the question, how can we know that we are good enough for God? How can we know that we are good enough for God? Let me answer that right away by saying we aren't good enough. None of us are good enough for God. We really, we're, we're hopeless apart from God's grace and God's mercy. Uh, we, we cannot fix our broken relationship with God. Only He can do that. All of us are in a state of brokenness with God, and none of us can fix that. So our hope isn't in what we can do. Or even in saying the sinner's prayer or something along that. We can't say, I said this prayer, so now I'm good to go. It's based on more than that. But you can have assurance of your salvation. You can, you can say, I believe the truth. I believe what God has said, what God has promised. And, and that I can have assurance that God loves me, that God has saved me. And that I have this relationship with God and I have hope. You can. But it's not because of anything that you and I have done. Where God says, I accept you now. We have to understand that now. And that's important uh, as we go forward. It's nothing that you or I can do. It's about what God has done for us. In order to, break, uh, in order to fix that relationship. It comes out of God's deep love and compassion for you and I. This, this is so... I, so the, the way that, I'm gonna, that I kind of set this up tonight is, um, I like to give, I like to tell you, what does the Bible say? This is what the truth is. Um, but I also want this to be meaningful. I want this to touch down in your heart and actually say, yes, I believe what God's truth is. So... What I'm going to present to you tonight, I hope, um, you know, we all have, we might all have different expectations about what we're going to hear tonight. Um, and I hope that I can still uh, reach you at where you are 
in, in, uh, in what I'm going to present to you because it's going to be a little bit more of a, inf uh, this is what the information is. Um, and, and, and we do not, oh, I wish we had time to go into all sorts of different questions related to this topic. Um, and as I was working on this, I got sidetracked into a, in another area that I would have loved to get into because I think <coughs> that it's just such an important topic. But because of the time we have, I thought this is, I want to give you what the, kind of the way that the Bible seems to present how we can have assurance of our salvation, we can have assurance of God's goodness and God's, in, in, in fulfilling His promises. Uh, and so I want to kind of give you this broad overview and hopefully not uh, kind of fire hose you with a bunch of information and hopefully you can take something with you. And so our assurance is grounded in what I call the covenant of hope. The covenant of hope, which consists of three promises. First, the promise of election, the promise of redemption, and the promise of regeneration. Okay. And that'll be important for later. Like, all right, so first of all, what is a covenant? We see that covenants, we see in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament, the... Uh, Oh, I don't know how many books of the Bible, but kind of the first chunk of the Bible, we see that this is God's main way of working with humanity is through covenants. This is how he works with humanity. Uh, Tom Schreiner explains what a covenant is in three ways, and I think he really helps us understand what a covenant is. So first of all, a covenant is a relationship. That is key. Covenant... Uh, is a relationship, and that sets it apart from a contract. So we, so we notice that this is a relational thing. It sets it apart from a contract. Contracts also contain promises and obligations, but they are impersonal. They're non-relational. Covenants stand apart from contracts because the promise, promises are made in a relational context. <coughs> Secondly, a covenant is a chosen or elected relationship. So we're seeing the theme here. Relationship is key to understanding what a covenant is. And thirdly, a covenant relationship includes binding promises. I'm just going to move over here. Binding promises and obligations. So it, it includes, like Kelvin said, there's, there's, a, there's, some, there's deals involved in it. There's promises, there's obligations. So a covenant can simply refer to an agreement between two parties in which... Each party agrees with stipulations. If one party fails to live up to the agreed-upon stipulations, they face the consequences that each party agreed to if one fails. Let me explain that a little bit differently. Is that there, there is uh, two people in a relationship with one another, and they say, we're going to agree to these terms. We're going to do things uh, for the other person, and if we don't live up to those stipulations then we're punished according to what we've agreed upon. Okay, hopefully that makes sense. We, we look back in the beginning, and I need to give a brief overview of, of uh, kind of the Old Testament, is that in the beginning when God created the world, He essentially made a covenant with humanity. He created human beings... And he created them to be in relationship with them. Okay, and that's what we see in this definition of covenant, is that he created them 
to be in relationship. That is key to this covenant. And at the beginning, God said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he said, don't do this. There was an obligation there. And then there were stipulations if they didn't follow through. He said, you will surely die. Meaning that this relationship will be broken. You'll be spiritually dead. You'll eventually be physically dead. There's all sorts of uh, nuances with that. But humanity failed to keep it. Oh, we're not there yet. Humanity failed to keep this covenant. And they were subject to a sinful nature and death. And they were condemned to death. And we have to understand that humanity deserved punishment for their sins. So the, the first human beings broke that covenant in place of all of us. As the representative heads of humanity, they broke the covenant that God had made with them in that relationship. And that relationship had to be restored if we wanted to have hope, if we wanted to be right with God. But none of us, this is so important for us to remember because it reminds, of, reminds us of our humanity that we are not God. We, we, need, we couldn't fix that relationship with God. We needed God's grace to bring us back to Him. But we see in the Bible that God had already established His covenant of hope. He established His covenant of hope with himself, and I'm going to explain that more, in eternity. He revealed this great promise to humanity in the third chapter of Genesis. And from Genesis to Revelation, we see that the center focus of God's uh, covenant, of God's plan, consisted of these three promises that I mentioned before. The promise of election, the promise of redemption, and the promise of regeneration. I'm going to ask you again later. But let me say, let me get a drink here first. Let me say right away though, these phrases that I'm using, the covenant of hope, the promise of election, you know, these promises, they do not appear in the Bible. So if you're reading your Bible, you say, what is Perry talking about? These do not show up here. Uh, I admit that they do not, but the concepts that I'm explaining with these terms do show up in the Bible. I'm using these terms to kind of give a helpful way to explain what I see is going on in the Bible. Okay, so I just want you to know that. I'm not just pulling things out of the air. I'm trying to be faithful to what the Scripture says. So in eternity, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity... Um, Three persons, one God. They saw into the future and they knew that humanity was going to sin and they acted first. So even before the first human beings uh, broke this wonderful relationship with God, he said, I'm, I see that, you know, this is going to happen. I know it's going to happen. So we're going to make an agreement. We're going to covenant with ourselves to, to, to make this plan. Uh, they covenanted. They agreed amongst themselves, that the Father would elect those who would, be, uh, who would be saved. The Son would save them, and the Holy Spirit would regenerate them. And this is so important because these three promises are essential to our assurance of salvation. And I know that 
some of this may be a little controversial to some people, but let me just hear me out, please. So the, what it comes down to is that the foundation of our assurance, of our hope, is in the promises and work of God. We have to understand that, that our hope is outside of ourselves in somebody who is so perfect and so holy that we do not deserve. And it is because of God's grace that we know and are sure that we are saved, that we can have hope. So let's begin with the promise of election. Scripture shows that, oh, this is a hard doctrine to deal with, I know. Um, But Scripture shows that God chooses people whom He will save. And there's a part of me that's very hesitant to share this at an event like this. I'm going to be honest with you. But it's something that I believe, and I can't not talk about it, because I believe this is where our hope is found This is where our hope begins, is here. And let me show you what Scripture says. In Ephesians 1, verses 4 to 5, He, the Father, chose us in Him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons. Predestined, uh, meaning chose before Um, For adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Ephesians 1.11 In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. 1 Thessalonians 1.4 For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. John 10.29 My Father... Who has given, and this, so this is Jesus talking. Read John, and you can't get away from this language. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. John 17, 2. Since, since you have given him, the Son, authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Here's a long one. <laughs> John 17, verses 4 to 10. And this is Jesus talking. I glorified you. I, Jesus, glorified you, the Father on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Whom whom you gave me out of the world. the, the, The people who've been chosen and taken yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word now they know that everything that you have given me is from you for i've given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that i came from you and they have believed that you sent me i am praying for them i'm not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me for they are yours all mine are yours and yours are mine and i am glorified in them Hebrews 2.13 And again I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Speaking about Jesus. Romans 8. 
verses 28 to 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Revelation 13, 8. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So as scripture shows, God gave certain people to the Son. God gave, he, he elected, he chose people before the foundation, before the world was created in order to give them to the Son, in order that the Son would save them and redeem them. And that's the next theme that we want to go to is the promise of redemption. So the Son of God became a human being in order to bring redemption to the elect. Jesus, and we even saw that in, uh, I think it was the John 17 passage where it says um, that I'm coming back to you to share the glory that I once shared with you. Jesus is a, was a, well, he is a pre-existent being. He, he was born into the world from heaven, a member of the Trinity, God himself. So the Son of God became a human being. He became like one of us to fix the problem that we made, to fix our mess up, to rectify things with God. And so when I talk about redemption, I simply mean Forgiveness of sins and being brought back to God. Being made right with God. As human beings, we needed a perfect human being to take our place um, in order to bear the wrath of God because of our sin. Somebody else had to take our place. Somebody else had to take our place. On the cross. In order to bring us hope and for the forgiveness of our sins, Jesus had to become a human being to take our place. No other being, no, no, pardon me, no other human being could, um, could bear the punishment that we were all required to pay. None of us, none of us could do it. None of us can reach that standard where God says, you're good enough. You are good enough to be in a relationship with me. And yet, God says to Jesus, you are good enough. You are the perfect sacrifice. But let's get into um, what Scripture says. So no human being could perfectly bear the brunt of God's wrath, but Jesus could since he was, since he was slash is fully God and fully human. So scripture shows that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, made right by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God, pardon me, put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, that's a good verse. 1 Timothy 1.15 The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
save sinners. That was his purpose, was to come into the world to save sinners. 1 Timothy 2 verses 5 to 6, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Romans 5 verses 9 to 10, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about these verses. He says that the argument of these two verses is, I suggest, the most powerful argument with respect to the assurance of salvation, or the finality of our salvation, that can be found anywhere in the whole of Scripture. All right, First John 4, 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. Romans 5, verses 18 to 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men, for all people. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. We see in that verse that the first sins of the, the first human beings sent everybody into condemnation, broken relationship with God, but through the one righteous act of the righteous person, Jesus Christ, we can receive justification. We can receive being right before God. Uh, I look, that's a good verse. Well, it's all good verses, but <laughs> like that one. John 3, 16, for God... Uh, 16 to 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 1, 29, somebody speaking about Jesus says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now this is language that goes back to the Old Testament where they were required to offer up lambs and other animals in order to pay for their sins so that God would say, you are, you know, this, it kind of, it kind of rectified the, the fellowship between God and his people, but it wasn't good enough because they had to keep doing it over and over and over again. They, they were required to sacrifice lambs and other animals to make a covering for their sin and to be right with God. And so the lamb took the place of the people by receiving the punishment of death that the people deserved. So Jesus took the punishment of death that we deserved and by doing so crushed sin and death forever. So we have to... that That is like the... The, the, the central uh, element here, the central point to our uh, having hope is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and died 
in our place and defeated sin and death forever. Uh, there's this book, the drama of scripture, I think they put it well, that in his death, Jesus accomplishes salvation. At the cross, he wages war against the powers of evil and defeats them as he takes the sin of the world upon himself. In his resurrection, Jesus opens the door to the new creation and then holds that door open and invites us to join him. Further, it is at the cross that God delivers the death blow to human sin and rebellion and accomplishes the salvation of the world. At the cross, Jesus said, It is finished. It is finished. The, 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 the punishment that we had to pay, the, the wrath that we had to bear, uh, was paid for. It was accomplished. Uh, punishment was accomplished on the cross through Jesus Christ. Because of this perfect sacrifice, uh, we're not there yet. Uh, where are we? It was appeased. Because of this perfect sacrifice, God can say to those who, who are united, who are in a relationship with Jesus, God can look at us now and say, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Oh, hallelujah. Seriously. He looks at us and says, if we are in a relationship with Jesus, he says, you are forgiven of your sins. This promise is central to all of Christianity. This is the center of the Bible. The Old Testament looks towards it. The New Testament looks back at it. We were elected, but we had to be forgiven. And we had to be forgiven before we could be given the Holy Spirit and brought into the family of God, which is the promise of regeneration. Okay, let's talk about the promise of regeneration. So part of the covenant of hope is to be part of God's new community. In order to be a member of God's new community, though, we have to be regenerated. So what that means is to be born again. Um, a spiritual born again where... Oh, oh, that's a hard one to explain. Um, because even when Jesus talks about it in the Gospels, the person he's telling it to says, what are you talking about? To be born again. Um, but uh, there's this part of us that is dead and it needs to be brought back to life in order to be uh, in God's family. It's to be brought into a new family. So the Holy Spirit causes us to be born again in order to become children of God and to join His new community, or rather, His family. And I think that's such a good word, than community. Because we all live in, in families, we live in broken families, and yet God says, I want to bring you into my perfect family that I am making new and so by uh, by doing so the Holy Spirit seals our redemption he, he says he, he, he says I am yours seals you up and assures us of our adoption into the family of God we're not just forgiven our sins we're not just forgiven our sins 
were brought into a new family. God says, I have forgiven you, and I want you to be my child. So John 3, verses 3 to 5, he's, uh, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Titus 3, verses 4 to 5, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Holy Spirit washes our spiritual body clean so that we can become a new person. That's what this is talking about. That, uh, and I, I have on there, see, I think I wrote it on here, uh, see 2 Corinthians 5.17, because it says, Behold, those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's what I'm talking about here. <coughs> if that makes sense. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5 says, God has given us a spirit as a guarantee, which Ephesians 1 verses 13 to 14 explains more. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So Scripture shows us that the Holy Spirit makes God's redeemed, uh, redeemed elect, His redeemed people into new creation. He seals them. And that language goes back to, uh, in, that, in that context, in that history, in the first century, where uh, some kind of authority, they would put their seal on a, on a, a declaration or something, and that meant that that thing had to happen. Like that was a royal declaration seal right there. So that language right there is that the Spirit seals us, those who are in Christ, He seals those people and says, you are God's children, and there's nothing that can change that. That is what that means. He holds them tight. He brings them to eternal life. He seals the elect, and no one will be able to take them out of the Father's hand. No one will be able to take them out of the Father's hand. So with all this in mind, how can we know whether or not somebody is saved? Because one of the most common pushbacks against some of the things that I'm talking about is that somebody, well, first of all, why would God choose people? I don't know. <laughs> I, I wish I knew, but that's what the Bible shows. Um, what's my second thing? Um, the second argument against what I'm talking about here, especially in regards to being chosen, is that, well, people could have been, people could have been chosen, uh, and then they can just keep on doing whatever they want, and there's no consequences because God will let them in anyways. Which is, you know, I'd, I'd want to understand the argument there a little bit more, uh, because there's a reality where even those who believe in Jesus, who follow Jesus, are going to keep sinning until they die. That's just a reality of being a, of being a human being. 
And so I don't think that, and I might be misrepresenting that argument, I'll admit that. Um, but we can, um, we can have confidence. And, one, and, and, and so I kind of look at my life and I can say, I have confidence that God has chosen me, redeemed me, and regenerated me. Because I see him at work in my life. I can look back from a year ago even. I can look back five years ago and say, I, have, I, have bec- I am a different person than I was a couple years ago. Even a year ago. I've learned so much about the word. I've learned so much about myself. Uh, there's just things about my life that have changed. I think that uh, I've become more patient with people, I hope, uh, less uh, angry, um, more encouraging to people. You know, there's just some of those things that I can see, look in my life and say, the Lord has been working in my life. And, and I can say, I have confidence in that. Um, I, I think that he has spoken to me. Uh, that might sound weird. Um, but those, that's just one of the things that I look and I say, there's just this underlying sense of God's love um, in my life, even though I cannot feel it. And a lot of the time, I don't. But it's not. The thing is, <laughs> the truth does not really care about our feelings sometimes, most of the time. So... Um, that's why I'm giving you the truth here. And what it comes down to is I, I see that I'm becoming more like Jesus. My character, I think, is reflecting that. My mind is being made new so that I'm thinking more in God's way. You know, I just see these things working. And I want to say... Um, that nobody knows except God who he has chosen. Okay. So now I'm getting, this is getting more complicated. How can we know we have hope <laughs> if we don't know? Well, at the end of the day, I can't be 100% certain, but I have a 99.9999% confidence, certainty in God's promises that I am saved. Well, it comes down to, for each and every one of us, is that I don't know who is and who isn't in. It's not up for me to decide. And it's not for any of us to decide. But what is up for us to decide (laughs) is to follow Jesus, to give our life to Him, to surrender to Him, that's what it comes down to. Somebody who's living like they follow Jesus, like they're becoming more like him as we see in Scripture. I think we can, and if they say, I confess Jesus is Lord, and I want to live like him, who am I to say, no, you're, you're not in. <laughs> you're, you're, you're hooped. Because Peter writes, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. I think this is such an important couple of verses when it comes to this discussion is how do we know who is chosen and every I have this conversation I don't know how many times oh, I haven't had it a lot lately but when I have this conversation with people I say I don't know but God's word says even even if because I believe this this I believe that God chooses there's still this reality that if you're not living like it then how can you know how can you say, oh yeah, I'm good? Because the context that, that this is written in is that these people are saying, we're Christians. Come listen to us. And Peter says, look at the way they live and tell me they're Christians. He says, make sure, make sure that you are actually in the faith. Make sure you actually believe in Jesus and live it out. That's what Christianity is about. It's not about getting that uh, get-out-of-jail-freak Get on a jail-free card. Whatever. That thing. It's not about um, escaping this world. It's about living in the here and now. Living like Jesus. Because God is renewing this world. Okay, I'm getting into a little bit of my hobby horse here. But um, that's the point of Christianity. Is that how can you know? How can you know? Are you living it? Are you living like Jesus? Are you good enough? No. <laughs> but he has made you to be good enough through Jesus. Because he, if you follow him, if you say, I want to be in a relationship with him, he says, you are my son, you're my daughter. And we shouldn't be pointing fingers at people saying, oh, you're, you're in, you're in, you're out. That's just stupid. Honestly, that's just stupid. It, it comes down to how are you living? How are you? Look at yourself and say, how am I living? So with, with somebody assessing how they're living, right, to ensure these things, that would tie back to the promise of regeneration. Right. And so they're not banking on themselves, they're banking on the promise that the Spirit has made to them. Exactly. Because it's, and this is where I'm, I'm getting right there. Is that, um, yeah, I'll answer that in a moment by saying, as I said before, there is a reality that we're going to sin until the day we die. We have, to, we have to come to terms with that in order to, you know, keep living. Is saying, okay, I'm a sinner, but God is, God is kind of, God is taking away those sins because what does it say about Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is taking our sins, if we actually, like if we're in this union with Him, if we are born again, we're, we're continually surrendering our sins. But that's a reality that we have to come to terms with. But that doesn't mean that we should neglect doing good works, uh, growing in, uh, you know, the fruits of the Spirit. Joy, patience, gentleness, kindness, all those, uh, all those qualities. But in God, it's so it's about God's grace, which as Ephesians 
says, uh, yeah, okay, as Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works. He has created those good works for us, which because he prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay, this is, as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, am I actually answering the question here? Yes, <laughs> because we have assurance in God's grace, but we also have, we can also have assurance as we're living it out. So are we, or is it actually about God's grace to us and his gift, or is it about us doing something? It's about God's grace Allowing us to do those good works. To show us his love and his assurance to us. Okay. Do you have the assurance of salvation? I've tried to uh, lay out. I've tried to lay out what I. The, the, the best for you. Um. Pardon me. I've tried to lay out for you the best I could in the time that I had uh, with what Scripture says about salvation. Is that it begins with election. It's centered in redemption. And it, and it ends, it, 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 you know, the work is being completed through regeneration. Our assurance is grounded in the wonderful covenant of hope. And the three promises found therein, the promise of election, the promise of redemption, and the promise of regeneration. And when you understand these three promises in your life, in your own life, you can say with Paul, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Seriously, man. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Continuing on with this scripture, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? understand this shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword put anything that's going on in your life right now into that list and say shall this separate me from the love of God no in all these things you are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, to answer the question at the beginning, how can I, be, how can I know that I'm good enough? Well, we aren't. We aren't worthy for God. But he has made 
He has made us worthy. If we profess to be a Christian, which means setting our hope in the work of Jesus, you can have assurance that God has elected you, redeemed you, and regenerated you. And so the question um, that, or the, the, what I want to tell you then is if you still do not have assurance, then you have to ask yourself, what, why is it that I do not have peace about my salvation? What is it I'm doubting about God's grace, God's goodness? What am I doubting? What am I not believing? Why am I not having assurance? What is holding me back from believing that? Those are the, the questions that you have to ask yourself. And I can't answer those for you in this time. Sadly, I believe that I've laid out for you, oh, and it's just been so quick, but I hope that um, I'm going to, I'm going to have at the end a way that you can get my notes. So if you want my notes, um, you can, you can get access to those and read this and keep studying this for yourself and you can rest assured, um, you can rest assured in these promises because if we believe the Bible, if we believe the authority that Scripture has, we can believe what it says about our salvation. So now it's time for you. You have to now decide for yourself if you're going to believe. You have to, you have to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to believe or else I'm not going to. Really, that's what it comes down to here. Um, but Paul writes that God will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, your assurance is grounded in the covenant of hope. When we were without hope, God had a plan to redeem and regenerate his elect. This is wonderful news. You can have peace with God because of his great promises. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Lord, help us to wrestle with these things. I know that there are some things that are hard to wrap our heads around, and it's easier to not deal with these verses that are hard to deal with. Uh, but Lord, help us to do it in love and patience. Uh, but Lord, I thank you for your love and your grace that you have uh, that in your grace you've chosen, you've redeemed, and you've regenerated. And that is good news. That is not bad news. That is good news. And so I thank you for your wonderful promises and your great covenant of hope. Um, so we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for coming.